Hi, David. Hi, Tom. Well, uh, I wanted to have you talk about your idea of integrated brilliance. And Absolutely. Just, uh, just give you a quick introduction again of who you are. Uh, there are users or um, listeners who are following me, so they they, they should uh, have listened to your previous one, but just in case they haven't, just give a quick introduction to yourself. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you. And it's really great to be back on your show. I um, am the lead data scientist for UL Prospector. UL's a old company in our country um, with a rich, great history. They got their start with um, underwrite, helping underwriters uh, ensure the the amazing demonstrations that were done at the beginning of the electric age. If you've watched current wars, you'd get a feel for what I'm saying. And But UL were the guys that helped insurers know if the demonstrations we're going to do were safe or not. And the, the guys that did that were the founders of our company. And then I also uh, am the founder of Integrated Machine Learning and AI. And I've invited some incredible talent to come and help me with that effort. And we're slow growing, but uh, quality growing and enjoying working together. And uh, I just enjoy being part of our great data science community too. Thanks. And uh, I was just thinking this is uh, just almost as good as a user group. Uh, you get to do your presentation. Uh, the only dis difference is that you don't get to see face to face, but uh, but they do get a get to know kind of who you are, and they can always follow up, uh, go to the internet if they want to learn more. Absolutely, the best way to contact me is through LinkedIn. Um, I, I that's the way I interact with the community the most, and it's become very uh, powerful and effective to do it that way. Great. Well, let's get on the with the integrated in brilliance. I mean. Uh, Last time we talked a little bit about it and uh, wanted to have you uh, spend the bulk of the time talking about it. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a very enjoyable thing to talk about. And um, I just want to hasten to say, I think I was able to discover this. I, I definitely didn't originate it, but was able to discover it because I, I kept being amazed by all the wonderful concepts I was given throughout the course of my education, both from my professors and the textbooks and the great minds of science and mathematical past. And it started to occur to me that these concepts are so powerful and so brilliant. What if I could apply them to other areas of my life, as I saw demonstrated when I took courses on things, um, on principles such as benchmarking. And as I, as I looked over the course of what I was learning over my career, it started to occur to me more and more, wow, when you see something really amazing occur on the market or occur among humanity, you can almost always see evidence of an incredible amount of integration of brilliance from many areas. That, um, I have to agree with you. I, I, I kind of feel that way too uh, when I'm working inside of, uh, you know, programming or, 
or data science or, or even talking with different people that are uh, brilliant is that you kind of get this uh, feel that when you see something that's really brilliant, you're like, wow, that's a, uh, I, I had thought about it, but it's really neat to see how someone has put that together. Uh, in fact, today I was actually looking at deep learning and uh, doing an NLP uh, where it was classifying UFOs. I know it's kind of funny, but uh, that was the data set I was working with. And uh, I used KNIRIS and I was not getting very good accuracy, but I put it in a deep learning network and, uh, uh, encoded the uh, the the uh, text, and it it, get, it gave me a really good uh, well. And I also did multi-label output, and it gave me like a really good fill uh, because it was it seemed like it was correctly classifying the object. So I was thinking, well, you know, that that could be also good if you could apply that, you know, into like safety or looking at you know, lots of text that's being flowed in and see if you can get some uh, labeling that's going on using deep learning. Exactly. So that's yeah. That's kind of exciting to see that, you know, there was no programming involved. It just kind of let it do its training and, and it started getting signal and that was exciting. That That is a great example of in, integrating brilliance within a realm, like I would say. But what I started to get excited about, um, you know, I, I could tell this whole story of integrating brilliance and, and trying to, to use it more in my own life. Um, I could tell it from my own chronology or I could tell it from a historical chronology. But what, one thing I'd like to illustrate it with is this. Um, back in the uh, early years of Southwest Airlines, they were just a young regional airline. And for those that are international, Southwest Airlines is a very popular uh, airline within the United States. Uh, it's oftentimes an airline of choice, but they weren't always that way. And they're based out of Dallas, Texas, my hometown. So it, it got my attention when I heard the story. But I learned this in my benchmarking class. And it was truly amazing to see that they incorporated this integrated brilliance across realms. And, and, it's very closely related realm, but they started thinking, how could we improve our profits? So they they looked at their process conceptually, and then they went and looked for other processes that were conceptually close to theirs, and they landed on race pit crews. And they studied race pit crews very carefully and conceptualized what they did and then they laid it back down on the top of their turnaround time at the gates and such. And it really sent their profits in, into high margins. And it helped them launch into a whole lot of other practices with that level of thinking to become the airline that they are today. But David, what's really exciting is this is not new. Uh, as Solomon might say, there's nothing new under the sun and it, especially with regard to this area, I would say that the most likely originator of it was Plato. It, and, and there may have been someone even before him, but at least he's a, a significant figure in our philosophical past. And what's really noteworthy, <clears throat> he was trying to produce good statesmen, good, good uh, thinkers, good philosophers, but what did they do 
for the first 10 years of the of the 15 years that students went to his academy, they studied math and science, the, the known math and science of that time. But why would Plato, this great philosopher and thinker, insist on that? Because I think I'm convinced from the little bit that I've been able to study about him, he got this concept of integrating brilliance. That's just a name I tack on to the brilliance I see. But it's exciting to see that he put such an emphasis on them being grounded in in math and science and using that in their objective thinking skills. And so I'm convinced that he was using that to help spur the development of better philosophers. And then if you fast forward and you look through various points in history where, where great leaps of brilliance and knowledge and, and <coughs> excuse me, and discovery and and uh, human intellectual growth happened, you can always trace it to some form of integration. Okay. Well, it sounds like it sounds like you're very grateful uh, to the thinkers of the past. And uh, With- you, you've mentioned a couple of times about benchmarking. How did uh, how did benchmarking help you uh, realize that there was a difference uh between uh, average performance and this exceptional performance? I, I don't think it was so much <clears throat> that it, it helped me see the difference in performance. It was more that it was a technique to use to try to grab brilliance from an area outside your own well, realm and bring it into another realm. I'll give you another example of what I mean by that. Now, that, that was one significant milestone in my journey of seeing this integrated brilliance principle. But another one was back before we had these PDAs and, and smartphones, basically. But before smartphones, we had personal digital uh, assistants, basically. They, they, were, they were like a, an iPod, but information. I don't even know if people out there remember what they were. But before that era, even, we had uh, Franklin planners. And there was a point at which Franklin and Covey joined, uh, they, they uh, joint ventured, or excuse me, they, they merged together as one company. And I remember when my wife and I got our first planners, and they had some good teaching about how to plan effectively so that you were more effective in your career and such. And David, I come from a mechanical engineering background, probably more appropriately to call it a multi-physics modeling and control system design background. And it was during those years of study that I was introduced to neural networks and to expert systems. So that was in the era before we even called it all data science. But unbeknownst to me, I was beginning to mix data science with my multi-physics system modeling skills. And so when I saw at the front of this planner they were teaching you how to be more effective and they were talking about gaining feedback from coaches and from mentors. And I looked at the drawing they used. I went, that's a feedback control system. And, 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 it, and it occurred to me, wait a minute, over the years, I started thinking back about the brilliance of, wow, here I've been studying this beautiful, these beautiful principles of control system design. And I hadn't thought to apply them outside of control system design in my own life. And the more I thought about it, David, I got excited because I realized, 
wow, what have I seen along my life's journey? I've seen that I can look at my current state. I can look at the state I want to be at. I see an error there or a difference. And I work to find things that will get, that will close the gap in that difference. But then I started seeing every one of the high level principles that we use in control system design also applied. For example, we have to deal with noise in control system design. Well, do I deal with that? Yeah. Sometimes someone's giving you some valuable feedback, but it's really harsh. And you don't want to take it because it's so harsh, but then you have to stop. Hey, do I care more about growth or do I care? You know, do I have to always be treated with kid gloves and gently? And I thought, you know what? If there's any ounce of truth to what this person's saying, I need to add that as valuable feedback. But I can reject the harshness of it and just just care about the growth. And then it occurred to me, too. Well, do I deal with disturbances like a control system design? Absolutely. If I don't have a clear vision statement for my life and make sure every new activity is aligned with that vision statement, I could go way off in the weeds and, and do way too many things. In fact, I, I'm a confet, I am a, a triaholic. I will try way too many things and I had to learn the hard way. Hey, dial that in. And all that was from being willing to stop, as Socrates would say, Plato was the student of Socrates and say, am I examining my life enough here? Am I, am I collecting my own feedback? Am I getting feedback from trusted advisors? And so over time, uh, and you'll see this if you follow me on LinkedIn, my posts deal a lot with trying to apply the beautiful concepts we learn in science, technology, engineering, math, data science to my life and help you know, be open about how I'm trying to apply those things to my life to make my own life more effective. And I, I'm just a perpetual student of this, not a master, but it's certainly a big help to just stop and think about these beautiful concepts and, and find ways to apply them to our lives. Well, that's what I noticed about some of your concepts is that they're easy to understand uh, from a non-technical point of view. And you mentioned that you're finding, like with the control systems, uh, those are noise and automation and uh, the technical know-how to actually make a control system work is really interesting. Uh, and if it could be somehow applied across into your normal living or in consumerism or even, how about the poor? How about third world countries? Where are you finding this uh, cross domain brilliance? Uh, Have you made a connection to education, to third world countries? Or, you know, how could you take something that's that advanced and move it into something where you're helping farmers in India increase crop production or your uh, using 3D printing to uh, empower people in Guatemala to uh, create an industrial uh, chain, chain, process chain, supply chain. No, that, that, Have you thought about that kind of uh, cross-domain, cross-cultural? I absolutely do, and I have to get on to you for tempting my triaholism. <laughs> but literally, David, I, I welcome the question because... I, I do often see that 
wait a minute. It, it's not just the concepts, it's existing things. If we took all the existing brilliance in that area that you're just asking about, and we could we could get it to the areas of most need, that would be great. But there's there seems to be a big disconnect between the citizens of our world's basic need to just survive and raise their kids and et cetera, to bringing an equality of quality of life across the world. I, I don't, I don't think that in the past, I do think there's a certain level of the fact that there's hungry in our world. That's not a shortage. That's not a resource problem. That's a human heart problem. I, I agree with that to some extent, yeah. but at the same time, when I think of taking like one valley in the United States could, and, and we have several of them that are this good at growing food, David, several valleys in the United States can grow enough food for the entire world. But if you just start to, if you don't let that just make you angry immediately and you ask, but then why aren't we distributing it? I, I, I frankly don't know, but I can imagine some reasons. It's hard to distribute food from the United States to areas, other areas in the world that most need it. But then even when you take it into the world, you've got to deal with other elements of human evil that like certain um, uh, lords of whatever kind that are very oppressive and, you know, want to take more for themselves. So a, a lot of it is dealing with the spirit of humanity, but how do we do that effectively? One way I try to do it is just say, hey, I don't want to have more than everyone else. I want to be a person that when I'm gone from this planet, people will say, that man had a more together philosophy. He didn't want to have more than everyone else. He wanted to have more together. But David, we still have huge problems across our planet. I think a lot of them are created by governments and, and selfish government leaders. But even if you had really great government leaders everywhere, we'd still face significant challenges. Even if everyone did have a more together spirit at every level of government and every level of education, we'd still have some huge challenges. And it, it, it's not just about our ability to grow the food, but it's about the ability to distribute it. But better yet, can we figure out a way to take all the knowledge that exists agriculturally across all the world. And I think we lose a lot of brilliance from history at times, David, thinking that, oh, we're so much smarter than our ancestors. No, we lose a lot of knowledge from our ancestors that was super practical. And it would be so great if we could just integrate all that knowledge and be able to take a group of experts, drop them down in an area and create a great community that's self-sustaining in the basic areas of shelter water, food, clothing, and then what, now that they have the ability to sustain themselves that way, watch what they could become. I'm not saying that they would be void of, of human evil, but hopefully if they could maintain a more together spirit, I would love to see what a, a society like that could become. But these are big hurdles. Well, there's a, a movie, uh, The Boy and His Bicycle. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that but it was, uh, um, I can't remember which area of Africa it was, but they had, uh, it was an area where they, they 
had uh, experienced a drought, but he saw um, kind of this cross-domain uh, idea. He saw uh, his teacher had a bicycle, and while he was pedaling the bicycle, they had a, a, a gyro, or what is it called, a dynamo, and the dynamo was lighting up the, the lamp on the bicycle. So he had the idea of taking that little motor and connecting it to a windmill. And so he, uh, uh, he didn't know enough of, no, this is a young boy, but he didn't know enough about um, electronics and electricity to do it at first. So he went to the library and it was a school library and he started reading uh, doc, uh, magazines. Yes. And from those magazines, he kind of got an idea of how electricity works, how electromagnetism creates an inductive current. And, uh, but he didn't, he didn't really understand it uh, enough really to build his, his pump. Uh, and so he eventually in the movie, he uh, convinces the teacher to donate his dynamo. And then he uh, builds, gets the community to build a windmill and then he puts his bike, his father's bicycle, with his chain uh, turning the dynamo, and it's just enough electrical current to uh, power a pump to bring water up out of the ground, and they uh, it inspires the group. I don't know if that necessarily that little dynamo saved the the group uh, from starvation, but it inspired the group to do. Uh, uh, that they they could survive in these harsh conditions. That is, and I think that's kind of where I'm going with this: is a, the the um, integrated brilliance uh, is no discriminator of person, whether it's you know the super rich or the medium rich. It's really not really even an issue of of uh, the wealth stratification, as much as it is the opportunity for people who are trying to solve problems, create solutions to see things from other domains and then utilize that for their own. That, that is beautiful. And um, a similar example comes to my mind as I was inspired by what you were sharing is the Barefoot College in India. It was a, uh, an Indian man of prominent, uh, he had great prominence in his upbringing. And uh, he basically just left the university and went out to the poor parts of his country and he didn't know how to solve all the problems he was seeing, but he realized that there were some smart people there already. And he started gathering their intellect, their knowledge of how to do things. And it's quite inspiring um, to see what they've accomplished. And they don't have an attitude of, oh, we're just, you know, this poor Indian community. We have nothing to give to the world. They, they don't have that spirit at all. They're teaching solar engineering and circuitry to other parts of the world. And they they raise the funds to bring them there to teach them or they go there to teach them. And it's it's amazingly inspiring. And I think it's a great reminder to what the point you're making. We we don't always need, you know, this first world knowledge to solve problems. Uh, all humans can have a more together spirit to help one another. And I, I think, yeah, it's also more of an attitude of no, indirectly they were taught to fish for knowledge by those magazines 
And those magazines came from somewhere else, maybe. But he he basically started integrating brilliance and got other people inspired to help him. I love that story, David. Well, and it was an American magazine. That's what was amazing is, you know, America uh, has been the leader or the gifter, I think, of to, to the world. And, uh, you know, the ideas, uh, you know, they might be manufactured in China, but the, the ideas were created in America, the integrated circuits, the, you know, the uh, NVIDIA supercomputer in a box, uh, the cloud server technologies, you know, that are, are really bringing down the cost. Uh, and so now as you have costs being reduced uh, and people are coming up with these ideas, you know, that are, once just reserved for large companies or even with the idea of, of uh, you know, manufacturing a, a product, uh, you'd have to, you know, have a die. You'd have to have a cast. You'd have to have a big machine. But then you might, uh, and you'd have to have your design developed through an engineering team. Now you can come through and you can sit down on a computer. You can download a, a, a an image from CAD from a company, you can pay a licensing fee for it or whatnot, or you could create your own and you can have a 3D printed. Uh, so it's like the world of process now is getting closer to the individual. And that's where I see this idea of integrated brilliance uh, starting to really kick in is uh, eventually there'll be people that are, are pulling together in groups uh trying to yes uh, yeah i love that just like you have a team that's trying to solve certain uh, uh machine learning ai they're they're working together uh but they're also you know there's a large collective that is trying to probably can tap into seeing where they're going in and uh, following them, kind of almost like the open source. Exactly. And that's why I love the stories you're sharing. And uh, uh, by the way, the Barefoot College in India has been featured at, at least two times in TED Talks with the uh, leaders of that community. And, and um, I, I, I love their spirit. I don't completely agree with some things they say. I think we need to have a greater sensitivity to why people get in the the ruts they do in communities but uh overall i just am inspired and encouraged by the barefoot college group and um but i, I love what you're saying it's a spirit of um the, the, it just seems to keep coming back to when we have a more together spirit literally a library is a more together spirit and the internet has become a more together spirit uh, other than the, well, I, I guess even for free, someone can go to local uh, places like libraries that supply computers and get on the Internet, do a massive amount of research in a short time now. And uh, anyone that's inspired to, to develop for any reason, especially to give to other humans, uh, that's a beautiful, great thing to see. Yeah, and I, I think that that's... Uh... Uh, important principle that you're you're talking about is you have to have the knowledge already, and uh, and then whether you keep that knowledge to yourself or whether you're sharing 
is uh, it can be shared in the form of inspiration. I know that uh, there was a boy in Africa and he built a windmill and it caught the attention of uh, MIT. And so they invited him to MIT and they, they tra- uh, for a couple of weeks and they showed him uh, 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 electronics and they showed him their lab and they kind of gave him uh, some resource training uh, but it wasn't a full, you know, it wasn't a full four years or eight years or 12, but it was enough to give him some uh, guidance. And then he went back to Africa and he's uh, created his own radio broadcasting station and solar power generation. And this kid is only 16 years old. And so you're talking about this integrated brilliance. It doesn't have to be a lifetime of discipline like Plato. Plato required 10 years of discipline, which is good to train the mind to be focused and to also <laughs> worship him probably uh, in some parts. It elevated him to a status of almost like God. But uh, at the same time, I think the younger generation now, they're in a hurry. Uh, you, you see... Uh, you see their brilliance within probably, I would say, 10 years. Making their I think you're making a great point. Um, we get fixated on degrees and certifications, and that was one of the barriers that the Barefoot College found to getting the men involved in what they were doing more. Uh, the older men, not so much a problem, but the younger men, you know, they wanted to have that sense of being able to uh, sustain and supply their families and communities on their own. And uh, so that there, there's a, a small disconnect there. They, they, the Barefoot College leaders were frustrated that they wanted to run off for certifications, but yet we see, we, we've kind of built this habit of to do something great, you need a degree. And, and I think degrees are great because they are proof to employers that you have the discipline to finish a degree. But I think you're making an important point, David, and that is, don't let the, the, the process of getting a degree stop you from integrating brilliance along the way. If you see an opportunity to build something on one of your semester breaks or your summer break, do it uh, to develop something. In fact, this is something the other mentors I shoulder with and I try to encourage uh, data, people new to data science please build a portfolio of your work along the way. And don't worry about getting the, the title of data scientist right away. You've you got to eat. You've got to pay rent. So just get a job, but find opportunities. If you're going to be a data scientist, be one and do data science work. And as you get skilled at finding ways to use data to solve problems, you'll be regarded as a data evangelist or a data scientist. But there's another important point that I think we're both talking around. And it's the spirit of, um, well, it's that spirit for one. But um, let, let me pause here and just, I, I so appreciate the comments you're adding. Let me pause right there and hear back from you on what I was saying. Yeah, I, I like uh, what you're saying, uh, you know, about uh, taking on not just uh, 
the memorization process, but actually uh, thinking about trying to take uh, one area of the domain knowledge, like uh, where you were talking about the process control benchmarks. These are great techniques. And then applying it uh, to everyday life or trying to find areas where you can take these really well-proven ideas, techniques, and yes. find crossover. Exactly. And, uh, because that is not a, yeah, that's not actually, it may seem like that there uh, would, w that would happen more uh, frequently, this cross-pollination type of idea, but it yeah. doesn't. Um, and that's why when it, when it does, there are huge breakthroughs, like even on the, if I if go back to like a technology like the iPhone. Yes, perfect uh, example. You had iPod, you had the Walkman, Sony Walkman. Yes. A fantastic device, a little handheld device with a, uh, a headset that you could listen to and you could, you could put that on your hip and you could go running with it. You know, the, the prior technology was a boom box. Uh, with a, a headset. Um, so having the little Walkman was a huge breakthrough. Then Apple came along and said, let's change the whole interface. Let's make it more easy to make it like a circular type of interface. Uh, and, and people saw that and, they, and this, this kind of brilliance uh, ignited and they said, we really like that interface. It's easy to yes. find our songs. Uh, my navigation was not right. click and drag and stuff. It was and then they kept down. building on that brilliance, uh, they, didn't they? Well, then you had the iPhone. And I, I remember when the iPhone came out, I thought to myself, and I did have some stock in it at the time, but I thought, you know, Apple stock is way expensive. And I wonder how this iPhone is going to go with it being so expensive. But, you know, it's interesting because iPhone was ignited and then it, it now is uh, one of the best uh, money makers that Apple's ever made. In fact, their, their profit margin is like 60%. And even though there are uh, millions of other devices out there competing for a share of Apple pro, uh, market share, Apple still maintains uh, a, a solid uh, market share and a profit margin. And that's a testimony to the, uh, you know, a really good design and, again, a new innovation that caught people's attention. So I think this integrated brilliance that you're talking about uh, is going to inspire a lot of people from different areas to I hope so. make the and, jump. And, and I think Apple's products are a great illustration of the principle. I, I just want to encourage people, don't stop there. If you understand some of these principles, even at, if at just a high level, they can be applied to other areas of your life. But I wanted to, pour out, to point out an important thing that we, I think we were both getting at. When, when students are learning something, they're really focused on the theory and they do these homework problems and, and they're, they're a practice of implementing what you learned. But so oftentimes it's, it's not the real thing. And so to go off and actually build something with your knowledge teaches you immeasurable amounts of things. And uh, it's harder. I mean, to actually truly implement something in hardware or, 
or software at scale, you know, in a real product um, that adds value to humanity, that that's tough. And uh, even if you're on a good team that works well together and uh, cares about uh, using all that great theory and knowledge that they gain and that know-how, it's still tough. But there's another area that's important to the earlier points you were making. I've seen people talking about the value of moving to universal basic income. And I, I mean, that to me, that's scary in some ways. I think it could be good. But when I see what governments around the world are doing to their economies by various means, it, it scares me to think about adding that. But one thing, and this gets back to the boy and his bicycle and, and other illustrations of brilliant things that can happen like that, the, like the Barefoot College, I would love to see universal basic sustenance where there's this basically set of knowledge we can hand around to one another and grow and improve through you know experience of implementation that says hey we're a group of people and we live in this part of the world and we found a way to be self-sustaining with you know we're not relying on income to do it we're we're able to build our own dwellings and uh to develop our to grow our own food, harvest our own water by these means. Well, you know, every region of our fabulous planet is a little different and requires different techniques for all those things. But if we just had a centralized way to share that knowledge, imagine the free the freedom of being able to have your basic life needs met. And then from that foundation, grow your knowledge and add to humanity with a more together spirit. Now we're getting somewhere. But I, I would rather see universal basic sustenance shared as a knowledge technique where everybody has to jump in and contribute in a community to make that work versus universal basic income, which brings a host of problems I'd really rather not even get into. But it, it, I just think universal basic sustenance would be the pinnacle of what we're talking about in this talk, where we bring all this knowledge together from times past and, and times across the surface of our planet and bring these techniques together in a centralized way so that <clears throat> any group of people that wanted to develop their own basic sustenance could do it. Well, that's an interesting idea. Um, and I think uh, that we're probably moving in that direction. Uh, as you know, as empires are decreasing in their length of time, and also <coughs> the ability to produce is increasing, um, and, it, and governments always do get in the way because they 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 uh, as long as I love Drucker's statement, they governments should never interfere with business, and that's a and when they do, then there's a problem because business cannot operate with too much government interference. Uh, and it's just because there's small margins of profit. And if they don't uh, make those profit margins, they go out of business. And uh, so, yeah, if, if I think if we can get things met, uh, to a low enough cost 
and more uh, efficient reallocation of resource that it's possible that you could see groups that are operating self-sufficient. They have to grow their own food, produce their own energy, uh, clean their own water. Uh, there's some initiatives in Japan where they're trying to recycle everything. So they're going to zero waste uh, uh, models where everything from the biomass is converted into energy to the trash that's recycled to the, uh, and they're trying to create uh, harmony with their environment. They're replanting the trees. They're uh, re recapturing the ground. It's not all just about the industry taking and depleting the resource, but they're uh, also recycling and making sure that there's longevity in their um, yeah their and ecology. I, I I'm definitely more on the side of the camp that that thinks government. What are you doing messing with business? But at the same time, David, I wonder if business always behaved perfectly ethical, hopefully governments wouldn't think they needed to get involved. And, uh, you know, there's various amounts of control as you go from country to country about how much government tries to control the operations of business. But I think if business really sees itself as a way to add value to the world and, and values their employees, now they're they're getting at an operational level where why would the government want to mess with them? Then that would be counterproductive. But I agree with you greatly in that sometimes laws just get put on the books that when we follow the letter of the law, we just cause inefficiencies. Whereas if we follow the spirit of the law and, and are willing to refine those laws more, then then we're protecting one another. And uh, that's that's the kind of you know, intervention, I don't mind seeing, but too often times government thinks they know best, they get involved and they just make things worse. Well, I think that's a brilliant statement you made. Well, our time's up and uh, I've really enjoyed this discussion, especially um, the Barefoot College. That, that's interesting. I want to watch those uh, YouTube. Absolutely. I'll, I'll definitely put a link on. Uh, on this and, podcast to that those YouTubes oh and thank you and I, I just want to say it was an honor to be uh, back on the show with you I always enjoy our talks alright take Tom, care David Tom, and I'll talk to you later